This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1,695. Correction, it's actually 1696. An interview with professional model builder and painter Lincoln Wright. Welcome to the show. I'll be your host, Brian Deemer. And uh, I know many of you haven't heard me for a while. Um, I apologize. I've been uh, doing a lot of other hobby stuff, uh, and that's sort of the purpose of this show. This is a little uh, uh, off-topic for for comic books, but it's still very much in the world of geeky stuff. Uh, lately, I've been, well, for the last few years, actually, I've been really into miniature painting and uh, also some model building. And one of the people that I found on the internet who has uh, provided me with a lot of great tutorials and, you know, YouTube videos and a, and a Patreon that has some awesome content is a gentleman named Lincoln Wright. And he spent uh, a very long time as a professional model builder and painter. And in fact, he's uh, had the distinction of being uh, one of the very few non-Japanese uh, professionals who got to work in Japan for Hobby Japan magazine, and uh, that says something about his his talent. So we're going to do uh, an interview with him, and uh, he's a real fun guy. So even if you're not into uh, model building or painting at all, you may still want to listen because uh, he's just a fun guy. He's got some great stories. So stay tuned for that. Now I'll I'll jump into our sponsor here. This episode is brought to you by Drawer Boxes. Of course, you have heard us talking about Drawer Boxes for years and years. I bet it's been a decade now. And uh, they are a fantastic system for storing your comics. So everybody has long boxes and short boxes. And eh, they do a good job, but as soon as you start stacking them, you know that when you have to get to that one on the bottom... It's nearly impossible. Well, Drawer Boxes solves that problem. They are cardboard long boxes and short boxes, but they, they have drawers in them, and they pull out so you can access all the comics underneath without any heavy lifting. And uh, it sounds too good to be true, but I assure you I own these, and I've had them stacked four or five high, and you can still open the bottom drawer no problem, and they don't crush under the weight. They're super fantastic. And they now have uh, new support sleeves that uh, are double wall corrugated and they're even stronger than ever and you just really, really don't have to worry about it. I mean, I've seen Rich, the guy who makes drawer boxes, standing on top of them jumping up and down and they don't crush and now they're even stronger? That's crazy. So go to uh, collectiondrawer.com and check them out. They're just, they're really a fantastic product. I can't recommend them enough. All right. And joining me now from Australia is Lincoln Wright. Lincoln, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Thank you very much for having me here. So today we're going to do a little bit of a departure from our normal endless discussion about comic books. And we're going to delve into another world of geekery that, uh, that has been near and dear to my heart recently. And that is the world of, of, model building and painting and and uh not just models well, i think in at least in the united states when you, when you say models people think airplanes tanks and cars but we're talking more about uh sci-fi 
um, Gundam, robots, uh, machine and Krieger, other, other kind of lesser known model type stuff. And, uh, cool. yeah, I mean, that's right up your alley, right? And, uh, cool. I know those things. Yeah. Lincoln, uh, for those who, who don't know, and probably much of my audience isn't familiar, uh, he, for many years, was a professional model, model builder and painter. And, uh, that's pretty exciting because I don't think there are many of those people in the world, right? How many people can say that that's their job? And especially in Japan, too, it was a very small, uh, closed circuit. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very cool, very fun. Cool. So before we get into all that, I have to ask you, um, because it's the nature of our show, have you ever read comics? Yes, of course. Yeah? What kind of comics did you read? Yes. Uh, You know, I I start uh, Marvel DC when I was was very small. I don't remember when I started because they were always around. And uh, I I, I did give this some thought because I knew you've got to ask that question, right? Especially, and you know, I think this led partway to the mecha obsession because uh, you know, robots was a big was a big thing as a little kid. Star Wars, of course, came along. Thank you very much. Um, so, Iron Man, Iron Man was one of the series that I was really into, um, and that one was probably followed up closely by uh, Batman because you know, uh, Batman had all of the uh, the gadgets. Sure, he's the ultimate mechanic, right? Can you fix this? Yes, if I have the right tool. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I was really into them. Uh, and then moving along, uh, I think I was, a you know, either young, uh, no, late teens when, uh, teenage, teenage mutant ninja turtles came out. Um, now I don't know how that's viewed in the real comic book, uh, world, but you remember the first one that came out was by Laird, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The original, original. And it was, you know, as a young, as a young man, it was quite hardcore. Anyway, I'm sorry I got off track there, but yeah, I, I love comics. No, I mean, talk, well, you can never get off off track when we're talking comics. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, and in fact, the um, the guy who who invented that machine Krieger uh, property, uh, he is an illustrator, and one of the ways he conveyed a lot of the story was through uh, he called them uh, BDs. It's short for a French bon dessiné. Very good. I knew you would know that, that. That's a proper comic book thing, right? Correct. Yep. Awesome. See, I knew you guys would know. <laughs> He put his story out via that because he's, you know, foremost, he's an illustrator. So um, I actually got to know some of his work uh, best through his, his comic series. Yeah. So there's a, there's a really good tie-in. Yeah, that's fantastic. I actually um, would love to get my hands on, on that Machine and Krieger uh, book because they did a collection right, that's hardcover, right, of, of all of yeah, the comics. that's right. I, I think I saw it in Japan, but it was a – pretty hefty price tag and also a very weighty thing to, I didn't want to have to bring it back on the, the airport, weight. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They're heavy. They're heavy. And, and was your boss with you as well when you're like eyeing it up and she's saying, nah. no, I mean, I, <laughs> she leaves that, those decisions up to me, but if, if I bought nice it, one. I would have to carry it. So, yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. So, all right. And so let's switch tack here and let's get into, uh, what we came here to talk about. And um, can you tell me a little bit of your history? When did you start modeling and how did that spin off into a career? Okay. It's, um, that's a very easy question to ask. And I've been asked it loads of times. I can't get my answer short and interesting yet, even though I've had practice. So this is, this is the practiced version and it will still sound all over the place, but I'll do my best. 
Um, yeah, as a kid, like many of us, uh, I had a parent. I had a parent that introduced me, and it was uh, Airfix kits. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm sure my first one was a Spitfire. And um, I picked up, I've got one of them in my collection now that I won't build just for nostalgia. And it's, um, it's one of those plastic baggy 172 scale Spitfires and um, in, this, in this obnoxious bright blue color. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it says on it, it's so cute. It says, uh, you know, molded in, uh, you know, the, the underside blue color that Spitfires yeah. independent, but it's, it's way off. You know, it's uh-huh. this, this really highly pigmented uh, bright blue color, French blue. And uh, so I started off with them and you'll laugh as a young, as a young kid, you know, and that was about maybe six or so. Now, hopefully this hasn't uh, backtracked at all, but uh, yeah, move, moving on from the FX thing. So I was very much interested in the Hasegawa kits that were in the toy shops. Um, there are a couple, so long as they weren't involved with World War II, I was then allowed to get them. And, uh, you know, the jumping complexity of the Hasegawa kits was really, really cool. Uh, that, didn't go so well coming into high school. Um, do you remember back then when it wasn't cool to be a nerd? Oh, oh yes. I, remember? I'm, I'm I mean, intimately everybody. familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? All of the guys listening to this, they're all probably similar to us, right? Everyone's going, oh, yeah, I remember high school. So yeah. <laughs> um, now, now geeks, you know, they, they know the word otaku, and they can, they can be really, you know, they can be out with it. Um, I quickly learned in my first year of high school to, to you know, to, to, to go stealth on the model building thing. And uh, I, I'm sure I kept going until, you know, mid-teen years. But um, I started getting involved in some sports. So it went a little bit on the back burner. Um, and then I was over in Japan not long after that. I mean, I went over there. And, you know, oddly enough, I went over there with my family. And, um, you know, that was quite a... You could imagine that was a big turning point in, for my dad, the very person who didn't want me to make Japanese stuff suddenly finds himself in Japan. So can I, can um, I, can I stop there for a second? It, it was, certainly um, can. I, I imagine I mean, we're of a similar age. And uh, so I, I imagine that there was, was there sentiment in Australia that was um, where there were groups of people who were like, you know, if it wasn't made in Australia or you couldn't get anything from Japan because Japan was the enemy from World War II and people's grandparents who fought there and they were all like anti-Japan. The, the uh, Very much so. Very much so. Like that existed in pockets. And uh, I'm, I'll, I'll be careful about how I touch this subject, but, um, you know, the, the two countries that probably had the most direct contact with, with Japan, uh, the closing uh, of World War II, there was Australia and, and the US. Um, we, we were the ones fighting them initially uh, up in Papua New Guinea, sure, the Aussie forces. And um, you know, through the you know the wonderful help of the US, the US came in and uh, knocked out their uh, their logistics supply. And because of that, uh, and then you know, with additional uh, logistics help from the US, we were able to defeat them in New Guinea. Um, but we were we were ruined by then. We just lost so many people blunting them. Um, and then the, the U.S. rolled them up. I, uh, I'm a bit of a history buff on that, and I visited a couple of the island sites, including Saipan. It was quite interesting, but uh, very much so. It was it was difficult uh, within my family to to make uh, Japanese subjects at the time. It was um, even you will laugh even my, to my dad a Mustang P51 Mustang was somewhat foreign. <laughs> because wow. um, because it's not it's not a UK Commonwealth thing. 
Right. And um, you know, the Mustang is one of the, the coolest ones. But see, the Corsair, that one was okay because the, uh, the Aussie Air Force used them also in World War II. So, so Corsairs were part of the menu, but Mustangs weren't one of the ones we also used. Uh, no, it's funny, but, you know, my, my dad was a small world person, which is probably why, a small Australia, I should also say, it's probably one of the reasons his destiny was to then go and work in Japan. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the, um, the, the mind blown, I mean, it's just the easiest way to say it, that, that he had to come to grips with a whole new world and people very quickly. And uh, it was a fantastic experience for him. He changed so much. And um, now he's, he loves Japan now. He, he sees, um, you know, a very different side to things. So I understand that in um, all of my life uh, living over there. So it was like 20, all, all together, about 25 years, about a quarter of a century altogether in Japan. It, um, I've experienced that going overseas quite a bit. There, there's, still, there's still pockets of that. It's kind of going away. Japan's gone through a real renaissance in terms of uh, culture, cultural propaganda to the world, we could say. Um, and, you know, that started for, for people in our age group, didn't it? I mean, back in, you remember things like Robotech? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, and I grew up with Star Blazers, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. What's, what's the proper name for, oh, sorry, what's the English name for Gacha Man? Um, um, was it um, Battle of oh, oh, yeah. Battle of Planets. Planet, Battle of Planets, yeah. You're right. That's right. That's right. Battle of the Planets, Yeah. And because, uh, you know, and I get there, oh, wow, Japan's got these things too, but they've got weird names on them, like, you know, Mahagogo uh, for Speed Racer. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Gacha Man. And, and, and Gacha Man over there is really different. It's, it's almost adult because uh, it's, it's really violent and it doesn't have that flying R2-D2 ripoff guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to make this <laughs> cash in on Star Wars. Let's put this in. But we can't make it the same. Let's give him wings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you go back and watch that, it is pretty funny. Uh, so, so that changed a lot. But, you know, I was so flat out busy learning a new life in Japan that I didn't touch models for quite some time. Um, and I was at just the underage there to drink. So, um, yes, I said that correctly. <laughs> because being a foreigner there, they're a little bit more strict now, but there just weren't a lot of uh, Westerners there. Um, even now, on your trip there recently, how did you feel, Brian? Did you see a lot of Westerners there? Um, I mean, I was in a lot of touristy places, right? So I saw true, a lot true, of, true. you know, when you're at a temple or something like that, it's just a swarm of, of tourists. But but just walking around in a random place in, in Tokyo um, – no, I, we, we didn't. You and your see family a, would be the only ones a lot of the time, wouldn't yeah, you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of restaurants exactly. we went into, it was like we, yep. were, we were the only ones. Right, right, right. So you could imagine. So all of my life, I've been that only one. And uh, <laughs> that's why, you know, coming back to Australia has been really trippy because, you know, having local camouflage is, is quite comfortable. But um, <laughs> just trying to figure out things on the inside. But anyway, going through that, that transformation was, was, uh, was brutal at the time, but it was also opening up such a new world that the hobby aspect, um, sadly went on the, on the, on the back burner. But, uh, after a couple of years, I, um, I've been married for, uh, 20 odd years now. I got married. I met my wife pretty early on there. Um, after I could speak the language, uh, 
I, I know this is going to go live, so I'll be careful about how I explain things. It's a, the life in Japan is a very different sort of thing. I've got to, I've, I'm trying to think about how to, how to explain that. Uh, even people who've spent a lot of time there, it's a, it's a really different place. And the version we get through the media is quite different. My, my friends, even my Japanese friends and I will laugh at each other and say, I want to live in that Japan. <laughs> that Japan looks awesome. I want to go there. Uh, and, and, you know, we all have a good chuckle about it. The, um, but I, I, got, I got started building uh, with actually uh, imported things. Uh, a friend of mine showed me Warhammer stuff. And I think that's how you and I bumped into each other via Warhammer-related products, right? Yeah. I think I, I, think I posted to a, a group on Facebook that was primarily targeting uh, Warhammer stuff, I think. Uh, or it might have been a miniature painting one. Anyway, I, I just thought, because I remember some of the first things you showed were uh, Age of Sigma, I think, miniatures. Correct, yeah. That's what I've been yes. predominantly working on lately. Wow, they're nice, aren't they? Yeah, well, they're absolutely beautiful miniatures. Masterpieces of, uh, of the, the, the modern miniature uh, 3D sculpting art, I think. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my friend showed me them. He said, these are from the UK. You're a guy, Jin. You'll like them. And uh, <laughs> you know, but, he, but, he, but he was right. I was like, wow, these are awesome. I showed my wife, and she said, no, no, you can't do that. You, you don't have the patience. Uh, you know, you, that, <laughs> that would be a waste of time for you to start doing. So... When people say, what was the main impetus? How did you get involved in, in working at this to this level? I did it in a series of dares to prove my wife wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and all the married guys out there instantly understand what I mean, right? They're like, yeah, I, w- I would totally do that. <laughs> so, so I was devastated when I cracked open the box. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I just got Space Marines. You know, like, like I think everybody does. They first see Warhammer, well, cool, get Space Marines. Sure. Um, yeah, eight-foot-tall guys in power armor, beating up people. Okay, that's what I want. And uh, <laughs> they're not painted. And, and, and you've got to put them together. I seriously, I thought they were like as shown on the box. I, I had no clue. But uh, I started doing that, and, and it was very minor in Japan. And we'd occasionally do these, uh, you know, trips to hobby stores. Now, you've been to hobby stores there. They're crazy, aren't they? Oh, my gosh. It's it's pretty much the greatest place. <laughs> yeah, they are, aren't they? They are. And uh, did you, were you surprised at the you – now, if you go to a, a model store in the U.S., um, I, I think biggest in the U.S. is aircraft, I think, uh, and armor, ships, and sci-fi is, is quite small. Yeah, uh, sci-fi would be like ten percent, maybe. Um, I've been in the industry for a while. I've seen it. And I talk to a lot. I've got friends uh, all over the you know all over the world. And we, we talk about the different breakdowns. And um, were you surprised the shops that you went to were they flipped? It was ninety percent Gumpla. Oh yeah. Imagine if you went to the, yeah, and um, so, so that was normal science fiction. It's being the the, the predominant uh, uh, genre available. It was just so normal to me that it wasn't until you know the, both the internet was invented and we got on it that we found out that people actually made those tiny tanks and airplanes still. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know it sounds funny, but we really thought that. And um, it was, that's how I discovered the machining Krieger stuff was because when you first go in there, uh, were you shocked at how much Gumpla, Gundam models are available? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was astonishing. There were... 
Yes. It rose and rose and right. rose. I mean, it was overwhelming because I went there with the – I said, I'm going to buy one. Thank I know you. it's going to be inconvenient. <laughs> i got to carry know, this thing on the airplane. I'm going to buy one. And you're going through exactly what I went through. So I went from the Warhammer world. I went into one of those shops. Okay, Tom, I'm going to go get one of those Gundam things. I mean, they're cheaper. They sell them locally here. Let's go do it. And I could not choose. Yeah, how the hell do you pick? There's literally hundreds no, I couldn't of choose. Them. <laughs> couldn't choose. Couldn't choose. I walked the aisles. I came out and I said, which one? They all look the same. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and you, you'll laugh because I've told this story many, many times. I've worked with uh, two of the, the, the main gum, Gundam guys of Japan. There's, there's Kawaguchi-san. He's the guy who does the tours and he's the judge for the, uh, the Gunpla Builders World Cup competitions. Uh, so he's he's one side of it, and then there's um, have you seen toy companies like Max Factory, Good Smile, um, Nendroid series, mm. uh, F- Figma? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, no, sorry. Anyway, sorry to throw them out there, but there's uh, so he he owns a, a family of companies that that put out most of the figure models, I uh, figure toys, excuse me, and and some of them happen to be models, but they're mostly. Uh, he works as a toy manufacturer, but he he got his start also with the the Gundam franchise. Um, he's the guy who invented the green Zaku. The, oh right, okay, the big the yeah. big guy, yeah, yeah, the big guy with the the, the pipes on the side of his face. Right. So he used to be red, and this guy painted him green, uh, olive drab, yeah. and uh, he told me it was based on the U.S. Uh, Sherman tank color too. So how is that? The, the U.S. idea of the, the, the tank color influenced Gundam and became one of the most popular ones of all time. That's amazing. Interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they I, I would constantly tell them that story. I said, I can't, I can't. You Gundam people all look the same to me. And uh, they, they were in hysterics when I dropped those jokes because then we were working together on that machine in Krieger property. But that's how I found them too. So I, I'm sorry the story. Again, it's really disjointed because I know you have a slightly different take on it. It changes ever so slightly for each person I talk with. But it was in looking for one of those Gundam kits that I couldn't decide, I stumbled across machine in Krieger. And for people who don't know it, it's a – it looks like retro World War II uh, mecha armor. In my mind, when I first saw it, I thought, wow, is this like a kit from Starship Troopers, the book? Right. When I first saw it. That was my, my initial you know, wish. It's like, oh, God, that's what it is. Um, and uh, it was because that one was so different and it had that militaristic look. It was a, uh, a, a greenish version versus all of the, you know, the very – um, what's the right pronunciation in English? Is it uh, for Garish? Garish? Garish, yeah. Garish, thank you. So I, I, I warn you, my English is not great. It, hey, you know, I'm, Australian, I'm Australian and my English is bad. It's double. I, I wish I could speak <laughs> Japanese as well as you could, and, and I'd be well, fine. The, 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 the word I'm thinking of is hade. Um, we would spell it, we would spell it H-A-D-E. Um, hade is a concept that can be, it applies to gumpla, um, Girls who dress like pretty women, um, all of those things is called hade. You can't wear clothes that are too hade. Your gunpla is too hade. It's a really weird way of thinking to us, but yeah, I'm trying to. So that's that's how they look to me. Gunpla was very hade, <laughs> very garish. Is probably the best translation. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't get my my, my mind around painting them the, that red, white, and blue. But the 
the, the olive drab, plain looking guy in the smaller box for 1200 yen. It was about the, the price of a good, a good ramen. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was like, okay, so, so the, the ramen size guy in green, let's do that. And that's what got me started down this path because within, gosh, within two, two or three years of finding that kit, I was working for that, that, that company that made our, and the, uh, the, the creator of that series working with them in publishing. It went very quickly from there. Um, that's kind of another story. I, I don't, I didn't want to launch into that one too quickly, but do you want me to keep going with that? Well, I mean, I, I'm just curious how, you know, so you, 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 you picked, so you did, you picked up a machine Krieger kit then instead of yeah, a, a yeah. Gundam and then you, and then you enjoyed it. And then it, and I, and I didn't make Gumpla and that was a really big thing for these guys because they had only had people working with them who all grew up and constantly made Gumpla eventually switched over and then came in. So I brought in a very unique perspective for them, for the team in that I had never been a Gumpla modeler and in Japan, that's unheard of. It's, it's such a rarity. Um, so it wasn't so much my foreignness because in Japan, I don't feel that foreign to them. I know that's hard to describe. Um, there's the initial reaction they have when they see me. <laughs> but then when we're talking, they forget. So um, that was one of the things. But it, it was over a couple of years. I went to one exhibition. I, uh, I made a diorama for it. And uh, they thought I was some uh, you know, really deep expert who'd flown in from overseas just to come to the show. And um, they came up and apologized after the, the, the first show and said, we're really sorry, Lincoln. Um, we can't give you an award because this is an amateur-only competition. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I had to look at their faces and I'm like, you know, are you guys, are you guys kidding with me? What's going on? I, I found out they were serious. And I said, no, 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 no. I started making these about 12 months back and I lived just up the road there in Nakano. And they said, yeah, we wondered why you spoke Japanese. At first, when you had written things on there, you know, back then they had the clunky forums, the internet. This is about 2006 or seven. Uh, there were forums now quite clunky, um, especially in Japan. Their double bit language doesn't translate well to, to, to early uh, internet uh, base technologies. Sorry, that's a bit of an aside, but <laughs> they, um, yeah, they, um, so they thought I was a Japanese guy and that Lincoln Wright was my, my pen name, my nickname. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Right. And I know I just, I just used my name and then I showed up and they're like, Oh my God, you really are a foreigner. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always have been. <laughs> um, I, 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 I have missile soup most mornings, but still you get, you get this. Yeah. <laughs> so that you, was pretty funny. So then by the second year, the second year I won the overall po uh, popular vote. It's not a, they don't have somebody to come in to judge. I won the overall one. They, they loved it. I did a, a very large scale. Um, somebody else made the kit and I just, I painted it as a demo version for him to help him to sell it. But that one won the, uh, the popular vote for in the, in the next year. And it was after that, that Max Watanabe guy that I mentioned, the green Zaku guy, mm -hmm. um, he, he had the vision. He said, uh, see, he, he's the one who changed the color. I mean, as simple as that sounds, until somebody does it, now a green Zaku is very obvious. But until then, they'd just been red. And 
I painted this thing in such a way. I, I based it off uh, marine life. I, I painted it to look like it, it physically looks a little bit like a stingray. So I kind of painted it to, to, to use that. Uh, instead of going against it, I went with it and used a very different color palette that uh, it probably would not have thought of. But I mixed, I made sure to mix it based on what they did know with some new so that they had a, a basis of, of understanding. So it was, it was, you know, I, I had, I had a reasonably good game plan with it, but, um, and changed it a lot too. Like I put, how's this? This is tying all of the stories together. This is the first time I've actually been clever enough to do it. Do you, uh, do you remember the, remember the talk about the Spitfires? Mm-hmm. Like one of the, the, the key design elements, I think of why they're so popular are those roundels. I think that's what they're called, right? You yeah. Know, the, the, right. The round, the roundels, the, um, I put a version of roundel on this kit. But, you know, flip the colors to, to match the scheme. And, but it also did double duty as working as the eyes of seen from a certain direction, you know, to scare off predators approaching it from behind. So it had a really good story as well. I, I thought it through. They loved this concept because I wasn't just following the numbers. I, I'd completely reinvented something and made it my own. Um, a little bit like, you know, my recent K2SO project. Yeah. I'd seen so many of the regular one. I thought, well, I don't need to do that. I want to do something new, but it was, it's close enough to be recognizable. It's just a, you know, stormtrooper from Tatooine, but flip those colors onto something new and it makes it your own, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, um, that's part of the fun of the hobby, right? Is that, uh, definitely, you know, we can paint exactly what is in the, animation or on the box or whatever. And sometimes that's very satisfying to do that because it's a challenge to try to replicate it. But then other days you're like, you know, but if I just paint this kneecap yellow, it'll stand out and it'll be different. And there's a story behind it. Like, why is that kneecap yellow? I don't know. You make it up in your mind, right? right? Like it's just fun. And then you can go crazy and, and be artistic. Right. So there's exactly, there's multiple levels of challenge there. And uh, that's what I enjoy. I've got one more funny story that will finish off the thing. The invitation to come work at Hobby Japan, because you, you'll, you'll laugh as, as some of that sounded like I had some clever moments of inspiration, but my general slowness was still always apparent because Max comes up and he says, hey, are uh, you free next Tuesday? I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess. He says, come to Hobby Japan. And I did not put it together what was happening. <laughs> I um and I didn't really know who he was yet at the time. Uh you know, his name was kind of familiar to me, but I didn't realize that he was, you know, he's one of the the major guys of the of the, the plastic modeling in, uh, and and toy industry there. And uh, so I I was I was pretty what's the right word for it? Um they were probably wondering why I wasn't excited. So I'm like, "Uh yeah, what you, what's going on?" I just just, you know, come to Hobby Japan. I'm like, yeah, okay, but what are we doing? And uh, they must have been laughing because I, I did not know what it was all about uh, until I showed up and they go, yeah, work on this. And, you know, it's part of that. There's a lot of uh, nonverbal communication there. There's just an implied understanding. And that was one of the ones where I'd completely missed it, what was going on. I was like, oh, so this is a pro card. <laughs> okay, Cool. I had no clue. I thought I was just, you know, I thought I was showing up for a beer or something during the yeah. day, and you guys, you guys started early. Ah, uh, they thought that was pretty funny. 
<laughs> so, so uh, if I can, let's let me step sure. back for for one minute here. For for those of us who are um, toiling away in our basements and uh, we're practicing and we're watching YouTube videos and we're trying to get better and and we're uh, pra- you know practicing different techniques and seeing what works for us. Never and everything. believe. So, Never believe those guys on YouTube. Yeah, I know they're so full of hot air. <laughs> um, but you know. X number of years ago, when you bought your first machining Krieger, right? That was you. You maybe there there wasn't YouTube yet, and you were practicing on your yeah, own, and maybe yeah. reading Hobby Japan or something, trying to learn some things. But you were you were practicing, you were experimenting, and you probably turned out some really crappy models, like we all did. Um, yep. You just made in your storytelling, you made a huge leap from I bought my first kit to. I entered a contest and I was told I couldn't be in it because I was a professional, right? There's a lot in between, right? So I assume that wasn't your first model you ever did that turned out to be the, the, uh, a candidate, right? Um, so, so what was your, you know, briefly, but what was your journey there? How did you go about that? I like how you snuck in the briefly. Well, we're I mean, you're going to put a leash. You're going to put a leash on this guy. Well, right? I know that it probably covers multiple years, and it could be hours of, of well, uh, it, you know stuff. Sure, sure. I understand. I'm, I'm just making fun. The um, so I, it was everything put together though. The um, the cross training across multiple genres. See, unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, Koyokuyama-san. He's the uh, the guy who uh, the original uh, artist, the, the concept artist, we could call him, who uh, who invented the Machine and Krieger series. But he also made his own uh, props maquette for the for the for the, for the article. He's a really big World War II air, aviation buff, uh, but in particular uh, aviation scale modeling, scale aviation modeling buff, uh, model airplanes, and uh, a lot of his paint schemes. And the way he goes about it, the way he paints them, uh, are based on World War II aircraft. So all of those years as a child of me hand-painting my models with, uh, you remember Humbrol paints? Mm-hmm. I have some. I use them for weathering, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I used some testers at the time. That, that's the, the U.S. equivalent. They're, they're very similar product. They, um, so all of the years of hand-painting with them, that also prepared me because the, the, the principal look for uh, uh, the machining cricket is that hand-painted World War II aircraft look. Um, and unbeknownst to me, uh, your grandma-son also had started out with Airfix and Humbrol paints. So even though we were worlds apart, our, our, our humble beginnings were actually very similar. And I'd done a lot of um, a similar process over, over the years. Then um, see, the color theory, the Games Workshop guys, as much as a lot of people make, you know, we make jokes about Games Workshop too, uh, you know, because they're such a major player. Sure. But their system, their system for helping people to go from zero knowledge of art to, uh, to, producing, to producing miniatures is actually really, really good. It is. So, uh, it is really good. If you if you buy a white dwarf and you get the paints that yep, they list, yep. and you do first the base coat of this, and then highlight this, and then cut in a little closer with the next highlight, and then cut in exactly. real close with the last highlight, and you stay in the lines, you turn out really good miniatures. Right. So one of the parts of my story that never comes up was that I was actually a very good. If I say so myself, I was actually a very good Warhammer miniature painter. I, I actually got very good scores 
even on, do you remember Cool Mini or not? I don't oh, yeah. know if that's still a thing. It, it's still a thing, yeah. Still a thing? Yeah. So, um, I was scoring nines for some of my Tau battle suits on CMON, I think we used to write yeah. it out. That's impressive. Um, so, that's, it's hard to get a nine. Oh, dude, it was really hard, right? And because I, I was one of the first guys actually to start putting weathering on them too. Like, uh, it, it's laughable now when I go back and look at them, but it was a precursor to everything. I was very interested in chipping. And uh, painting on, you know, the faux uh, uh, scratch marks and things like that and highlighting them. Uh, and perfecting um, very smooth coats using uh, bright colors, uh, which is very difficult, as you know. Um, do you remember rotting flesh color? Yes. Yeah. See, everybody knows it, right? I, uh, I painted a 1,500-point Tau army with that as the main color and uh, on tanks and things, too. It was brutal. And uh, that will teach you some brush control. Oh, and yeah. I think that was one of the things. When I went through uh, painting not their canon, that helped me to understand uh, paint and uh, color theory very quickly. So um, I invented, uh, you know, some, somewhat invented and, uh, and tweaked a, a color scheme for, for that army. So that helped a lot. Then uh, I did paint a handful of tanks. Back when I was doing it, is about uh, Tamiya released a new line of 148 scale armor. And uh, I was investigating weathering techniques. And, of course, tanks come up. Uh, trains and railway and, and, and armor modeling subjects come up first. So I was quite fascinated by the, the, the guys making the, uh, the, the tanks and the finishes they were getting on them. And that's actually how I got to know uh, Mig. Everybody makes fun of how I say his, his last name. Um, I say Jimenez, but even that's – some people will say, no, that's wrong. And he says my name wrong too, so it's okay. We laugh <laughs> yeah, about it. We laugh, we, we laugh about it together, but that's how I, I met them. They had this very small, hard-to-get-into forum, and even if they let you in, no one would comment on your work unless it was really good. I mean, talk about elitism. It was brutal. And, you know, I'm this dork over in Tokyo – putting spacemen in there against all the tanks and, and airplanes and stuff. And it was just tumbleweeds until <laughs> Mig said, wow, that's really cool stuff. I love this subject. And this is the best version I've ever seen of it. And, uh, you know, someone says that to you out of the blue instant buddy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it clearly sounds like you just have a natural talent. As many but I was cherry picking from a bunch of a bunch of these things. So there was that as well. There was a little bit of natural talent, fine, but I worked my absolute butt off to get it. And I did a lot of work across multiple genres. I'm sorry, I hadn't closed the story up. That's where it was coming from, though. I didn't stick with one thing. Uh, and it's part of what I wanted to then share that now that I own myself again with the Paint on Plastic brand is to help other modelers see that there's a huge benefit to, you know, cross-training, uh, working across multiple kinds of uh, genre and, uh, and types of painting and model, model making to, uh, to get their skills up. So I'd had the, the World War II uh, aircraft, then the Warhammer figures and uh, the, the, the larger scale science fiction things. Then I'd experimented with armor modeling, and that's when I stumbled into Machining Krieger. So it also has its very own particular thing, and it was the, the hand painting with lacquer paints, Japanese lacquers. So taking everything I'd learned, I, I also had enough uh, sense, uh, sense of proprietary. I'm not sure the right way to say this, but I knew to put it aside to also learn something new. 
you'll know what I mean, right? When people come in from something else, they often just want to do it their way. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's comfortable because that's how you know. Exactly. Exactly. But then exactly. you don't learn as much new stuff. So you have to exactly. try new stuff. Yeah. Well, I try to gently tell them you're, this is great what you're doing, but you're also losing a valuable opportunity to learn something new. So I, despite being relatively accomplished in some of these things, I could see that I probably, I'm not good enough to keep going up with the water-based painting things. Well, you know, it just wasn't my thing. This was new and exciting. So I kind of threw it all away in one way. I put it all to the side to then go all in on the, uh, the machine and Krieger style. And that was emulating the box art. I just, I loved this rough look how Yoko Yamasan paints his, uh, paints the box art, but also his finished models. So I, my Japanese wasn't as good at the time and I couldn't read the book super well. And my poor wife, I'm saying, read this. Cause I can, I can hear it better. <laughs> I, I just, I, I have a, a style that I'll, I'll, I'll hear things and I learn it better than, than, than by reading. So she'd read it and say, that doesn't make any sense. But I'd somehow understood what the author was trying to get at. And then when I brought the works along, I, I met him at some party. The guy looked at him and said, how did you do that? So you can't even read the books, can you? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're laughing. I said, no, no I, can't, I can't read them. Because uh, his books, they're not normal Japanese either. He, he, he writes and he speaks and writes in a way that older Japanese people will to, 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 to younger people. And it's a very different thing. And I hadn't been exposed to it much before. I'd heard Japanese from same age people and it's, it's actually quite different. Um, so he, he was a mate. He said, so all of these guys in this room, all of these people can read my books. None of them can do it. You've looked at pictures and then done this. He said, you're, um, what was the word he used? He said, you're a, um, it was, it was a Hollywood movie that was really popular at the time. Uh, when you, you know, like the, the FBI guys, when they need to investigate someone, they, they uh, think in their – they put themselves in their shoes. Oh, right. Okay. Gosh, I, I can't remember the, the word for it, but he said – he explained this to me. Um, he said, look, that's what we did at art school. So he went uh, to – he studied uh, fine art in our university. He said, that's what we do. Uh, he says, my – the person I studied was Rembrandt. So to to paint like Rembrandt, first we have to be able to uh, to imitate or – Gosh, what's what's the word? I'm mean, I'm really sorry that I can't think of these words off the top of my head. The um, paint it as a, a forger, uh, forgery. Oh, okay. A forger. Right. A forger. You have to be able to forge their work to then be able to improve on it. So that was the word I was looking for: forge, forgery. Um, and that's what he said. You've been able to forge my uh, my work. You've obviously you've not just looked at the finish of it. You've looked into the steps and the mindset as to how I replicated it. And, um, and that was part of it too. It was understanding the mindset of the original artist to be able to then replicate their work, um, understanding them a little bit through, through looking at their work, their personality. And uh, as soon as we get off the call, I'll remember this word. That that was key to it. And uh, I hadn't quite thought that through at the time. But when he said it, I said, yeah, that's what I did. I hadn't thought about that. That one, it just seemed I was enjoying that as part of the process. Profiling. 
I'm sorry. Oh, yes. That's what right. it is. Right. Profiling. There it is. And because of that discussion we had together, the next book they called, they, they released was called uh, Profile. And uh, that was partially in my honor. Uh, it was to allow people getting into his stuff in Japan to be able to profile his work um, to understand, you know, uh, how to produce them a little bit better. So that was a really cool story. Yeah, that's fantastic. Sorry for getting a roll on there. I got a lot of stories built up. No, that's uh, that's great. So now let me, if <laughs> if we can for a minute, now let's jump forward again to you had your like surprise sort of interview kind of thing at Hobby Japan. And then uh, because we know our history, you ended up working there. So, and uh, lately, just recently on on some of your videos i've i've heard you you know talk about or or lament how that was a sweatshop and it was brutal but <laughs> but you spent how many years did you do that so that's it's just short of a decade wow so you spent yeah. 10 years painting models that were going to be featured in the magazine is that is that correct is that how that works uh, Magazine box tops uh, displays at uh, shows like Shizuoka uh, Hobby Show and the Tokyo Hobby Show. Yes. So that and more. Yes. And so you have, you probably had some crazy deadlines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Laughable deadlines. How, yeah. In, in, in that 10 years, how many, approximately how many models do you think you went through? Yeah, I, I really don't know. Uh, I've been asked that quite a few times and I, I literally don't remember them. Part of that would be the toxic fumes. Yeah. But, now, uh, I, I wonder because sometimes it was like two or three a week. Uh, wow. Then we'd have a bit of a, then we'd have a lull. Uh, but, but they were prop making. This was one of the things that uh, they, they had to kind of break me in some ways. And part of that was done with beer and short shoot, but um, <laughs> break me from the Warhammer habits. See, I, I developed that habit of painting things in a very fine way. They said, yeah, you've got the good understanding, but these just need to be photographed. And then we toss them. Well, they go, they go into a big storage warehouse somewhere. Right. And some of them only needed to be photographed once from a certain angle. So um, it was very much, it's prop making uh, for the photographs that were, were, were required and different levels too. And so the, the models that would go on show in a big hall uh, for, for uh, face-to-face viewing, People looking at it from, you know, say a couple of feet away would be a different finish to the ones for the photography, for example. And then the box top photography was a different finish again. So there was, there was levels to it as well. Yeah, that's an, that's a, uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. Cause that's a, like, I, you don't I, hear that I, mentioned, do you? People don't talk about that, do they? Well, the, right, no. The, the in-person and, finish versus the, the online photography finish. Yeah. And, and then I, and I run digital into- photography changed it as well. It's Look, another layer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I run into that problem with my own projects. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it from two inches away and I see every right, imperfection, right, right? And everything. Right. I'm like, I got to keep working on that. It's not done. It's not done. It's not done. Right. And I see in the forums, somebody bought the big, you know, Warhammer's new, you know, giant $125 kit, right, on a Saturday. Right. And the next and Saturday, done. they're posting <laughs> finished photos. I'm like, I have barely even sanded all the pieces yet, let alone. Right. I mean, it, the the most recent one I did, I think I posted a picture of it. It was um, the big dwarven airship. I think I posted. Oh a yeah, picture yeah, of it. yeah, 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 yeah. I that's mean, that's really cool. That took me like six months, Lincoln. 
I mean, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> they're doing them in one week. I don't understand, you know. Yeah. But it's like you yeah. said, if they're if they're doing it for gaming and they just want game table ready, well, they don't need that right. level of detail. Or if they just want to take a couple photos, or if they're just at the start of their career and they're happy with that, like maybe a couple of years from now they'll look back and say, "Oh my gosh, why did I do that?" But you know, true, we all have true. those. Every every six months, my bar is higher than it was six months ago. You know. Yeah, so. definitely. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And now, and Yokoyama-san had a good one. This one will help you for sure. This 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 will probably be your big takeaway uh, from from our chat. And so we would play a game together. And you're gonna laugh. It sounds horrible until you figure out the genius in it. We would we would bet each other, like you know, things of no consequence. Who could do the least work on their project? And get away with it. <laughs> I know how bad that sounds, but what he was teaching me was to uh, to to make sure I was doing the most effective bang for buck uh, techniques uh, activities in a short period of time to get things finished. Well, I, that I, makes I, yeah. that makes perfect sense. And, and if I can, uh, you know, dovetail that yeah, sure. into the world of comic books. Um, you know, comic book artists oh, yeah, are, those guys, are. Those guys know. They, 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 know. they need yeah. an economy of lines, right? They have yep. 30 days yep. to crank out 22 pages, and or more if they're on multiple books. And uh, they they can't spend all day making the perfect the perfect page because uh, they just don't. Right. Have, it's not in their schedule, right? It would take weeks to do one page if they were striving for that. Now some guys still do, and then their books are always late, and then their editors are always mad at them, and the fans are right, pissed. right. Um, but right, they right, but they do right. beautiful, beautiful work. But uh, if you want to want to pay your rent, right. yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta figure out how to do it as quickly and as, as possible. And but I think that that's a great lesson right i mean i slave over you know the strap on the leather bag that goes around the knight's shoulder when when again, nobody can see that but i see it right i mean it's good to learn that, some that's one of the though. things the guys tell each other that online and i don't think it's wrong part of that's personality based you know when pe- people write lines to each other they'll write but i know it's there yeah and things like that and that's fine. And as an amateur, and if that's what makes you happy, by all means, I say, you know, if you have to do it, by all means, do it. But it was losing some of those OCD tendencies, you know, basically getting them kicked out of me, that really helped me to actually enjoy making this stuff more. Once I realized that I could let it go and have a bit of a giggle about it as well, hey, look, I didn't do that part. Look what, look what I didn't do. Once we started talking to each other like that, because um, each project, often we'd be working at home to finish them just because there's not enough space in those studios. We'd all bring it in and we'd tell our war stories over the last two days working, you know, 48 hours without sleep. And often it was the what we did topics that were cool, but also what we didn't have to do or what shortcuts we learned or what we could get away with. And that was a very empowering, um, uh, you know, un- universe, a little well, small uh, microcosm to be involved in. And I noticed the, the the interwebs at large, especially for, for the miniature uh, building and painting people, tend to go the opposite way on that, sadly. They're always upping the ante on how much you've got to do for it to be successful. Um, 
the armor modelers, they're always talking about how much extra detail they have to add to something to, to get it to an acceptable level. You know, like the, the, the photo etch frets and things like that. Yeah. Um, additional resin pieces. They're always talking about how much more they do, not about how little they do. And they're forgetting some of the basic tenets of art, uh, which is, uh, studying Rembrandt. So my, my teacher, your grandma, uh, he knew so much about Rembrandt that he'd pushed me to, to, to learn more about it. Um, one of the best things I could show people to see it visually very quickly is look at a uh, self portrait of Rembrandt when he, he did it when he was young and then he did another one when he was older. And the one he did when he was young is technically very good. Um, it's very precise, but the one he did when he was mature, he probably did it with a third of the brushstrokes mm-hmm. and it reads better and it's rough, but it reads, it reads better or equally. So you could, you could say he got worse or he cared less as he got older, but he got a lot more done with less. Um, and that's, that's one of the things, isn't it? That, that as an artist, it's not always about how much we add to things. It's also about taking away the things we don't need. And I, that's key. I want to bring that to, uh, to the hobby. There's too many people out there talking about all of the things to add, adding complexity, adding products, adding everything. And I don't think that adds to the joy of what we're doing. Uh, if anything, I'd like to help people to take some things away to, to enjoy more of the core experience. Well, and if nothing else, it will, it would help us all get through our backlogs a lot faster. <laughs> I know, right? Because it's we're nerds it. and yeah. we're collectors and we have to buy them even though we haven't finished the last six, you know? <laughs> well, that's why I tried to put out these group builds and things like that to help people to, to, to have that camaraderie, you know, the, the brotherhood of other people working away to get things done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so, so now that you brought it up, let's just take a couple minutes to talk about what you're doing now. Okay. The, um, moving my family, uh, away from Japan, it, it was scary, uh, because I don't, I don't know anybody here really. I mean, having been over there forever, but my little girl, uh, on, on family visits and holidays back, uh, back here to Australia, she had decided that this was her place and it wasn't Japan. She was born over there, uh, over in Japan, but she had decided she had this, you know, she was like five, seven, seven years old when she decided it that uh, Australia was the place that she wanted to be. And, um, which is quite unusual for a kid to get that, wasn't it? But she was quite adamant about it. And, uh, it was very obvious to us going between the places that she, despite not living here in Australia, that she, she, it suited her a lot better. It's quite funny, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm the dad. So I, I know, you know, I've, I've got to make it happen. So uh, she said, Dad, I want to grow up in Australia. I want to go to a school in English. You know, she gave me this list of demands, seven-year-old little girl. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll somehow make that happen. So um, I, I tried to negotiate, uh, you know, uh, working relationships with the companies that I'm working with. So I was working with two, two versions of the, the domestic guys in Japan. And the main thing I do for them is content production. I make stuff, right? I, I write some of the stories, the backstories, um, and, you know, art direction, but a bunch of things like that. But they said no. And it wasn't – it was just because Japan is so you, – you will have seen this on your trip. You know what I mean? Japan is still very 1980s in a lot of respects, but especially in the, the, um, 
in the, the publishing world and the, uh, the model making world. And it's mostly because the same people are in charge. The people who invented it back then are right. still in charge. Yeah, they're, they're just the same guys. And their thing is the 80s. They know how that works, so they're just rolling it out. <laughs> even, even Hobby Japan, for example, um, I don't know if everybody will know it, but it's like one of the big, longest-running magazines of all time. I bought a copy when I was there to bring home. Yeah, Cool. Nice one. Thank you. The principal photographer, Honma-san, is the same dude. <laughs> from when they started. I mean, really? And he's been there in that little corner. I don't think they let him out. I think there's like a chain or something. But <laughs> the poor dude, he's in this little corner in his studio. He's the same guy. So they have never had to change their business model. So the idea of working virtually, uh, remotely for them is, just, is, is completely alien. Um, and you know, there's probably, there was a little bit of, ah, you're taking your family away. We, we knew you wouldn't stay feeling. Um, the Japanese impression of people who, who look like you and I is that we don't stay there because historically that's always been the case. Right. Um, and I eventually, after even after 25 years in there, I was still uh, one to leave. So, so um, they weren't happy to do it. They said, oh, well, how are you going to bring your stuff in? I said, I can send you the photos. It's all digital anyway. I bring a disc in to you. But still, it was that physicality of bringing a disc in and, and walking into the office that, that they wanted. So they said, yeah, well, we don't know how that's going to work, so no. And um, then my European counterparts for that also said no because my value to them in their mind was that um, I was Japan-based. They said all of your value is because you're there in Tokyo. Um, if you're out of there, we don't see how you're going to be any use to us anymore. As brutal as that sounds, I, I probably – don't worry. This isn't one of the things I'm going to contact you about tomorrow and say edit it out because <laughs> this is – no, 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 it's fine. It's, this is what happened. I, I, I don't mind because there's, there's probably two things there. Number one, there was no precedent for it, so that's fine. And number two, I, I had not explained what I was going to do so a lot of the onus to that can be on me, right? So um, we, we got everything done. We set up over here in Australia, um, and it, it was big. So I had to do the, the, the visas for my wife and everything. It's actually quite a big ordeal. And because I'm the English speaker as well, the somewhat English speaker, everything was on me. Sure. So it, yeah. So, so, you know, stress level. I had a beautiful head of hair before all this started. <laughs> <laughs> now, look at it. Anyway, so I got all that done. So I sat around and I'm thinking, you know, what the hey, hey am I going to do now? I've got this lifetime of skills that I'm just sitting here. I'm at a lovely spot. I'm at the beach. How do I make this work? And I've got a buddy who works at YouTube, um, Jason. And um, we've been in touch for a long time. Jason's like, you idiot. Why haven't you started doing YouTube yet? And uh, I said, because I hate the stuff that's on YouTube. I, um, I, I never saw it as a viable medium. I did not like how it was presented. And this is the old stuff. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's kind of been waves oh, yeah. on YouTube, I think. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more professional content going on there now. YouTube used to be, you know, little kids falling down and dogs biting them and stuff like that, right? Um, or pranking people in the park by putting bicycles out that are chained or something mm -hmm. like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I really didn't want to do it because it didn't seem right. And I hadn't seen any other professionals jump on it. But the more I looked at it and he walked me through starting it as a business, not just as a, as a thing. 
because he works on that side of it. He works with uh, high-level creators who've created a brand and a business out of it. Um, he gave me a bit of a plan and said, this is what you could do with it. And I had not thought of any of that, being a, more of a back office guy. So I, um, I started that with a vengeance. I knew uh, my content was very valuable for these companies to put out. I just needed to own it myself and find a delivery platform to make, uh, to make myself known to people. Uh, until then, I hadn't been. Uh, the, the, the channels that I was putting my content through were established, right? Um, other people owned them. Other people had done that work. I just needed to do the hard work, make my own platform, and the content would then sell itself. So that's what I did. Uh, I started the Paint on Plastic brand. Uh, the primary uh, release was, uh, was done through YouTube. I thought uh, that was a good place for me to do down-to-earth tutorials for people, uh, you know, demystify some of the things and show it from a different approach that they hadn't seen before. There's a lot of amateur people. Um, some of the more successful modelers I see on YouTube tend to be amateurs that have done it very well for a long time and gradually built up more of a following, or they've been volume painters doing, uh, doing armies and stuff like that. I, I don't know what I'd call those people. They call themselves professionals. They did get paid for it, but from my life and my, uh, my definition of professional, it's a little bit different. They're more like, as a joke, I, I talk with my friends, they're pimp yourself pro guys. Right. They, and that's fine too, but they, they've been, uh, what would you call it? They're like uh, high-volume commercial painters that then added a YouTube component, and they're kind of showing their, their shortcuts to commercial uh, painting. Whereas I, I knew I could offer my, uh, my audience something very different and show them the, at least the Japan way of producing science fiction uh, models and do it from a slightly different perspective. And that's worked really well. Um, and I've just added more and more, uh, we could call them products, I guess. Uh, sure. YouTube yeah. was the main engine. Um, then I knew uh, it would be important to have a, a good community for people to discuss these. And you know, as nerds, we need friends. We need a support group. Absolutely. Sure we had the totally right. We, we've got to have that. It's not, you know, we're making the stuff in our basement. There's no one within, you know, a few miles of us doing it. Um, yep, we can listen to some talking head on YouTube telling you what to do. But then we've got to talk about it and show each other the results. So that was uh, that was another part of it. And within six months of doing this, the very people who told me no were all knocking at the door to try to work together again. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? And um, actually, and just overnight, um, two more proposals came through. I actually have to say no to paint companies now because uh, they're conflicting. I can't work with uh, with two. Sure. Yeah. And I'm going to go to uh, back to Japan in three or four weeks. And, you know, lo and behold, all these guys want to work with me. But it's, it's actually going to be even better than before because before I was local publishing, these guys want to talk with me about uh, you know, international expansion plans because they've kind of seen it. Hey, Lincoln's a hard worker and he's out there, you know, doing all this stuff. Let's work together. That's awesome. Funny, funny stuff, right? But isn't it funny how you can turn it around just by, you know, pulling on your own bootstraps and working hard. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's, and that's one of the great things about the internet is it allows a lot of people to, um, you know, be their own boss and do their own thing. I, I can't say enough good about it. I, um, I, it really, it really chaps me that I don't know if that's the right expression. Sorry, I'm making stuff up. It really bugs me. That's it. 
when you see people lament YouTube on YouTube or, or Facebook, <laughs> on Facebook, I'm like, yeah, but they've given you a platform to shoot your stupid mouth off. Stop that. <laughs> the, um, I love the opportunity YouTube has given me. I mean, I don't make any money off YouTube. It's, a, you know, cause my, but the opportunity is there. If I made, if I was clever enough to make some content that could go big enough, fine. But you know, it's given me a platform. Um, my comment, my, my content is too niche to, to really make money off their, their advertising thing. But you know, it's a good platform that they've given us. It's wonderful. The opportunities the internet have given us. So thank you very much for that. Internet. The internet is listening. I know it is. <laughs> it sure is. So where, uh, so your, your brand is called pain on plastic and right. you have a YouTube channel and you also have a Facebook group and you have a Patreon for those people who uh, are so moved to, uh, to contribute. That's right. That's right. I, I knew to, to, to make this work. I, um, I hope this isn't too, too clinically business sounding, but you know, I was sitting there hemorrhaging money and unemployed and unemployable in Australia. Cause I, I couldn't walk in and say, yo, what do you do? Yeah. I've been making plastic models and writing stories in Japanese for the last 10 years. <laughs> so I was sitting there absolutely hemorrhaging money. I knew I'd have to make a multi-tier business plan for it to, 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 to survive. And, and that's what it was. It was a survival plan. Um, I needed to provide the fam, the, the life my family wanted. I've got a good skill set. It was just sitting down and working at making a business plan and then working it, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day to, 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 to get up to a, a critical mass to make it pay. And, uh, that was part of it. Patreon has been a lifesaver because it it accelerates things uh, because, like you said, the people so moved, my core audience, the people who really get my work and understand what I'm doing, they're able to get on there. And it's it's like a like a Kickstarter. Uh, mm-hmm. What are, what are they called? What are they called, Brian? The that type of platform, the like, fundraising. Yeah. Yeah, so I I'd had some touches with this concept in Japan, the you know, venture capital. It's kind of like that, or crowdsourcing. That's what I'm looking for. Crowdfunding. There we go. It's a, it's a, it's like a crowdfunding thing, but ongoing. I um, I knew the one-off thing. I didn't have a big enough grand scheme pitch to put in front of people to do something like Kickstarter, for example. But the Patreon one being the ongoing, like a subscription service for content. That one was golden. I'd never heard of that before. If I hadn't done all of this, moved to Australia, done YouTube, that one wouldn't have been, you know, presented. I wouldn't have come come across that idea. And it really is genius. It's been brilliant. Um, and it's allowing me to develop different ideas that I wouldn't have come up with otherwise. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. The last one I released called the, the experiment with um, subtractive chipping. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, no. No, no worries, no worries, no worries. Now you're a busy guy, I understand. The um, people usually, the, the views go up on the weekend when people do a bit of binging. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, the experimentation angle is new to me. I hadn't thought that through. That was not part of my business plan kicking off. I thought I'll just do weathering how-tos. That's my core value. But now that I'm owning myself, and that's through the, the, the Patreon, it's giving me like a, it's like a venture capital funds injection each month. That's given me a little bit of breathing room to then make stuff that I thought would be really valuable and interesting for my core audience. 
and stuff like that's popping up, like um, you know, experiments with uh, with various products. And how cool is that? Uh, if the internet did not make that possible, those tidbits of information would be lost. Yeah, it's it's really really. Sorry, I'm, I'm throwing stuff out there. Sorry, man. I, I'm throwing a lot of random stuff out there. I'm sorry, I'm a bit off. No, it's quite all right. Off script. Yeah, that's going really well. I um, and hopefully that that's that's kind of like a core. Uh, I don't want to rely on sponsors too much because they can really direct our our content, right? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you have to be you have to be real careful when you're doing sponsors and yes. stick to what you have to yes. do is you have to stick to your to yourself. And if that if a sponsor doesn't like it, then they can pull their sponsorship. But you can't alter your content to appease the sponsor, you know, I mean, as long as you can afford that, exactly. right. You know, that's, but, and, but your fans, your audience will know whether you're being true to yourself or not. And so you can't, oh, I know. you can't fool yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I've been very careful with playing that one. And there's stuff in the pipeline for the future as well. Uh, part of that will be, uh, you know, on the Japan trip, I'm, um, I'm looking at helping, uh, some of my my friends who I've worked with over the years in their Japan companies to help them with their international distribution. Well, that'll be cool. Because one of the hardest things we have now is we can't get their stuff. Yeah. Have you got, you've noticed that too, right? Everybody says the same thing to me. We can't get their stuff. And those guys can't get it out. It's a language barrier. There's just so many issues. Um, so I, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, to be able to, to, to lend some expertise. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, that's that a, be fun. that's the biggest problem with all of this international, you got all these people on Facebook, they're all over the world. You got different YouTubers from different parts and they're like, Oh, I use this paint. I use Mr. Color. Yep. Well, guess what? In the United States, I can't get Mr. Color unless I go on eBay and exactly. I pay $6 for one little pot and I don't know where it's being shipped from and if it's going to freeze in transit <laughs> and, you know, I, do I order that right. in January? Right. I'm risking right. it, right? You know, like, well, so. This, this is so apparent to me. Every time I released one of the tutorials, the first questions people come up with, I, I don't know if you saw it, one of the recent ones I did, my favorite paint in the world is Gaia Notes. It's, it's, Easily the best paint out there. First questions. Pe- people don't say, really? They don't ask anything like that. Wh- where to yeah. buy is one of my, my joke lines for the questions. And I understand that. I show a machine in Krieger kit. First thing people ask is, where can I buy this? Yep. So, you know, putting that together, I'm like, hey, wait That's a smart. minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we have to, and it's kind of like a public service too. I can't show this stuff if poor people can't get it. It's kind of that. That's worse, isn't it? It's like you know, dangling the carrot and antagonizing <laughs> yeah. poor folks. Hey, look at all the cool swag I get from Japan because I know peeps. Uh-huh. It's, it's not cool no. at all. Is it? <laughs> it's such a tease. Yeah. But but you watch. I'll release some things for sale, and then people will also beat me up about that. Oh, you're just doing this for money. I'll be like, I'm doing your favors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm the hero. I worked my butt off to get this out there. You don't know the flaming hoops I've jumped through. But anyway, that's that's how it happens. We can also thank the internet for that. Awesome. <laughs> well, Lincoln, I want to thank you so much for taking time away from your models to talk to us. Um, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoy, you know, I stumbled upon your content and I've stuck with it and I've uh, supported your Patreon because 
I can tell you're genuine and I like your, you're obviously very talented. And, uh, if I can, if I can learn, you know, 5% of what, you know, I'll be a much, much better modeler. And, um, well, thank you for and, saying that. Uh, I've just been really enjoying it and I hope, uh, everyone else, uh, who hears this will, uh, check out some of your content and, uh, hopefully they'll join, join your group of, uh, your family of, uh, modelers. That would be really awesome. I mean, if, if some of this makes some sense, I'm, I'm really apologetic. I know it's probably a little bit rambly, but there's just a lot of story to get out. And I really appreciate the chance to chat with you about it. That, uh, I really should practice and get it into a bit more of a cohesive soundbite. Nah, it's, it's more fun when it's just sort of natural and organic. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you can tell. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say, you can tell I'm not scripting yeah, it. That's true. <laughs> that's yeah, just, there's no BS just, here. That's pouring. <laughs> that's just pouring out. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I will let you get back to your day. Okay. Thank All you very much, right. Brian. Cheers, Brian. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your continued support here at Comic Geek Speak. And a big, big shout out to Drawer Boxes for sponsoring this episode. Go to collectiondrawer.com to pick some up for yourself. I promise you will not be disappointed. They are just a great product. And I got to give a big shout out to all of our listeners who have been donating to the show. Uh, our plea from a few weeks ago has not gone un- unheard. And many people have been contributing to the cause, and we thank you so very much. This helps us out tremendously. Keeps the uh, keeps the forums running and, and everything else going strong. So thank you so much for all of your generosity. Be sure to check out all of our past episodes at comicgeekspeak.com. And uh, we hope to see you next time. Thanks so much. <laughs>